Part One, Chapter Twenty Four of Anna Karenina, read for LibriVox.org by Kirsten Ferreri. Yes, there is something in me hateful, repulsive, thought Levin, as he came away from the Sterbatskys and walked in the direction of his brother's lodgings. And I don't get on with other people. Pride, they say. No, I have no pride. If I had any pride, I should not have put myself in such a position. And he pictured to himself Vronsky, happy, good-natured, clever, and self-possessed. Certainly, never placed in the awful position in which he had been that evening. Yes, she was bound to choose him, so it had to be, and I cannot complain of any one or anything. I am myself to blame. What right had I to imagine that she would care to join her life to mine? Who am I? What am I? A nobody, not wanted by any one, nor of use to anybody. And he recalled his brother Nikolai, and dwelt with pleasure on the thought of him. Isn't he right that everything in the world is base and loathsome? And are we fair in our judgment of brother Nikolai? Of course, from the point of view of Prokofi, seeing him in a torn cloak and tipsy, he's a despicable person. But I know him differently. I know his soul, and know that we are like him. And I, instead of going to seek him out, went out to dinner and came here. Levin walked up to a lamp post, read his brother's address, which was in his pocket book, and called a sledge. All the long way to his brother's, Levin vividly recalled all the facts familiar to him of his brother Nikolai's life. He remembered how his brother had, while at the university and for a year afterwards, in spite of the jeers of his companions, lived like a monk, strictly observing all religious rites, services, and fasts, and avoiding every sort of pleasure, especially women. And afterwards, how he had all at once broken out. He had associated with the most horrible people and rushed into the most senseless debauchery. He remembered later the scandal over a boy whom he had taken from the country to bring up, and in a fit of rage had so violently beaten that the proceedings were brought against him for unlawful wounding. Then he recalled the scandal with a sharper, to whom he had lost money and given a promissory note, and against whom he had himself lodged a complaint, asserting that he had cheated him. This was the money Sergey Ivanovitch had paid. Then he remembered how he had spent a night in the lockup for disorderly conduct in the street. He remembered the shameful proceedings he had tried to get up against his brother Sergey Ivanovitch, accusing him of not having paid him his share of his mother's fortune. And the last scandal, when he had gone to a western province in an official capacity, and there had gotten in trouble for assaulting a village elder, it was all horribly disgusting. Yet to Levin it appeared not at all in the same disgusting light as it inevitably would to those who did not know Nikolai, did not know all his story, did not know his heart. Levin remembered that when Nikolai had been in the devout stage, the period of fasts and monks and church services, when he was seeking in religion a support and a curb for his passionate temperament, every one, far from encouraging him, had jeered at him, and he too with the others. They had teased him, called him Noah and monk, and when he had broken out, no one had helped him, but every one had turned away from him with horror and disgust. Levin felt that, in spite of all the ugliness of his life, his brother Nikolai, in his soul, in the very depths of his soul, was no more in the wrong than the people who despised him. He was not to be blamed for having borne with his unbridled temperament and his somehow limited intelligence, but he had always wanted to be good. I will tell him everything without reserve, and I will make him speak without reserve too, and I'll show him that I love him and so understand him. Levin resolved to himself, as toward eleven o'clock. He reached the hotel of which he had the address. At the top, twelve and thirteen, the porter asked Levin's inquiry, "At home? Sure to be at home." The door of number twelve was half open, and there came out into the streak of light thick fumes of cheap poor tobacco, and the sound of a voice unknown to Levin. But he knew at once that his brother was there. He heard his cough. As he went in the door, the unknown voice saying, "It all depends with how much judgment and knowledge the thing's done." 
Constantin Levin looked in at the door, and he saw that the speaker was a young man with an immense shock of hair, wearing a Russian jerkin, and that a pockmarked woman in a woolen gown, without collar or cuffs, was seated on the sofa. His brother was not to be seen. Constantin felt a sharp pang at his heart at the thought of the strange company in which his brother spent his life. No one had heard him, and Constantin, taking off his galoshes, listened to what the gentleman in the jerkin was saying. He was speaking of some enterprise. "'While the devil flay them, the privileged classes!' his brother's voice responded with a cough. "'Masha, get us some supper and some wine if there's any left, or else go and get some.' The woman rose, came out from behind the screen, and saw Constantine. "'There's some gentleman, Nikolai Dmitrievich,' she said. "'Whom do you want?' said the voice of Nikolai Levin, angrily. "'It is I,' answered Constantine Levin, coming forward into the light. "'Who's I?' Nikolai's voice said again, still more angrily. He could be heard getting up hurriedly, stumbling against something, and Levin saw him, facing him in the doorway, the big scared eyes, and the huge thin stooping figure of his brother, so familiar and yet astonishing in its weirdness and sickliness. He was even thinner than three years before, when Konstantin Levin had seen him last. He was wearing a short coat, and his hands and big bones seemed huger than ever. His hair had grown thinner, the same straight moustache hid his lips, the same eyes gazed strangely and naively at his visitor. "'Ah, Kostya!' he exclaimed suddenly, recognizing his brother, and his eyes lit up with joy. But the same second he looked round at the young man, and gave the nervous jerk of his head and neck that Konstantin knew so well, as if his neckband hurt him, and a quite different expression, wild, suffering, and cruel, rested on his emaciated face. "'I wrote to you and Sergey Ivanovitch both that I don't know you and don't want to know you. What is it you want?' He was not at all the same as Konstantin had been fancying him. The worst and most tiresome part of his character, what made all revelations with him so difficult, had been forgotten by Konstantin Levin when he thought of him, and now, when he saw his face, and especially that nervous twitching of his head, he remembered it all. "'I didn't want to see you for anything,' he answered timidly. "'I've simply come to see you.' His brother's timidity obviously softened Nikolai. His lips twitched. "'Oh, so that's it,' he said. "'Well, come in, sit down. Like some supper? Masha, bring supper for three. No, stop a minute. Do you know who this is?' he said, addressing his brother, and indicating the gentleman in the jerkin. "'This is Mr. Kritsky, my friend from Kiev, a very remarkable man. He's persecuted by the police, of course, because he's not a scoundrel.' And he looked round, in the way he always did, at everyone in the room. Seeing that the woman standing in the doorway was moving to go, he shouted to her, "'Wait a minute!' I said." and with the inability to express himself, the incoherence that Konstantin knew so well, he began, with another look round at everyone, to tell his brother Kritsky's story, how he had been expelled from the university for starting a benefit society for poor students in Sunday schools, and how he had afterwards been a teacher in a peasant school, and how he had been driven out of that too, and had afterwards been condemned for something. "'You're of the Kiev University?' said Konstantin Levin to Kritsky, to break the awkward silence that followed. "'Yes, I was of Kiev.' Kritsky replied angrily, his face darkening. "'And this woman,' Nikolai Levin interrupted him, pointing to her, "'is the partner of my life, Maria Nikolaevna. I took her out of a bad house.' And he jerked his neck, saying this. "'But I love her and respect her, and anyone who wants to know me,' he added, raising his voice and knitting his brows, "'I beg to love her and respect her. She is just the same as my wife, just the same. So now you know whom you've to do with. And if you think you're lowering yourself, well, here's the floor and there's the door.' and again his eyes travelled inquiringly over all of them. Why I should be lowering myself, I don't understand. Then Masha, tell them to bring supper. Three portions, spirits and wine. No, wait a minute. No, it doesn't matter. Go along. End of chapter 24 This recording is in the public domain.